With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is the All Ball Podcast. All basketball, all the time. Look, I could, I could get lost in some needless conversation about the Lakers or about college basketball. We got plenty of time to get to that. I told you that one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast, and by the way, if it's your first time listening, thanks so much for making this part of your podcast rotation. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and rate this podcast. By the way, I guess if you're listening to it, you've already downloaded it. So subscribe and rate. During the season, we'll have all the people that you want. I got great commitments to having some other interesting people um, throughout this off season, which is very short, very condensed, because there seems to be no real off season outside of August in basketball. But I'm committed to bringing people stories in basketball. If you listen to this, you probably love hoop, right? You just love it. I, I would hope you have a ball in the back of your car and some shoes. Actually, two pairs of shoes. Uh, if you're a baller, you got a basketball in your car. Actually, check that. Two basketballs in your car. You need an indoor ball and you need an outdoor ball. And you need indoor shoes and you need outdoor shoes. Probably need some socks, although, let's be honest, a baller can play with no socks or a baller can play with some dress socks. It doesn't really matter. The shoes are far more important than the actual socks, regardless of which, you're a ball guy. That's why you're listening to this. So with that in mind, I, I brought you Chris Beard a couple weeks ago. Got some great commitments upcoming. And I really wanted to share with you Mike Roll's story because, look, it's real basketball. He is a professional basketball player. I'm not going to ask him how much money he makes, but it's well into six figures. Heck, might even be close into seven at, at some point. The point is he makes a healthy living as a tremendous basketball player, having played at UCLA for five years, a part of three Final Four teams, playing for Ben Hallen, 
uh, suffered an injury, missed a season, got a medical red shirt, came back, and his last year was a year in which the bottom fell out, but he had a tremendous season, has parlayed that into a spectacular foreign career. Does he want to come back to the States? We'll get, we'll get with that. Uh, does he think he should have been drafted in the NBA? We'll have him take us through the pre-draft process, some of the workouts he had, the things he does to work out now, the things he does to his body in terms of eating and working out, and what he would have done if he went back to high school. Uh, but I do, I do want to start with this one story out of the NBA, and then I'll get to one thing out of college basketball, then we'll get to Mike Roll. Channing Fry, of course, was on a different podcast, and he said, hey, look, it's hard to play with LeBron because LeBron likes vets to where he can walk in and go, you're a shooter, you're a passer, you're a driver, you're a rebounder. These are your roles. So it's going to be interesting to see with the Lakers because that's how LeBron's always played. On the other hand, I do think that the Lakers, if they're smart, are going to challenge LeBron for, hey, LeBron 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0, it's probably more 4.0 than anything, should be a guy who can who can take a breath at times during the game and let other people play, can be more of a facilitator, which is a skill that doesn't go away. Like the skill of going by everybody and taking on a team like that, you lose that, that, that first step ability. Now, uh, I do think they'll play him at some small ball five. He has the size to do it. He's a sneaky shot blocker. He's a good enough rebounder, and it'll find him the mismatch. But more than anything, I don't think anything Channing Fry said wasn't accurate. It's not always easy to play with a superstar. It's not always easy to work with a superstar. And the idea, this is not a bad thing when he's painting the picture of, hey, he likes guys in roles. I, I work with Colin Cowherd. Colin Cowherd has a way in which he preps every day. And if you fill in for him, as I do on his show on Fox Sports Radio, or do my own show from 12 to 3 uh, Pacific time, 3 to 6 Eastern time, there's a way in which I do things that somebody who fills in for me has to do. LeBron James wanting to know shooters, passers, drivers, and let them know all their roles, that's no different than a rock group. And, you know, one guy likes all green M&Ms in his dressing room. Right? He wants his, his, his ear, his volume level in his ears to be just so. He wants to play golf every morning. Like, that's that's what musicians do, that's what actors do. That's part of their process in preparing them. And even though I am not a LeBron is the greatest player ever guy, I'm absolutely willing to put him in the top five greatest players I've ever seen play basketball conversation. But I don't view it as a negative. I view it as really interesting. The other point that Channing Fry made, which was something I've said on radio, it's completely different when you're playing with LeBron in terms of how much people prep for you, Right. Look, LeBron coming to town, go and look at all of these different teams and their websites or their Twitter Twitter handles when the schedule came out. The Dallas Mavericks. Check out the Dallas Mavericks schedules and the two games we play at home against LeBron and the Lakers. You're everybody's biggest game. There are lots of games in the NBA where guys are second night of a back-to-back and they went out when they landed in town and they're not taking it as seriously. That's not the case when the Lakers come to town. So the challenge to these Lakers will be, can they play the same system they played against a higher level of competition with a heightened amount of detail and do it while working in LeBron James, who's played in his own system for the entirety of his career. I think it's fascinating. In college basketball, what I'm fascinated by is uh, the Duke Blue Devils. I know Kentucky played in the Bahamas, and I've watched those tapes as well. But everyone is, or I don't know everyone, a lot of people are freaking out over Zion Williamson making some jump shots and, frankly, looking great in their foreign tour against Canada. First thing is, um, R.J. Barrett obviously is the better talent, and as good as Zion was, he was even better. The second thing is, let's also catch our breath and realize 
that they're playing against massively inferior competition. They just weren't. They weren't. The Canadian teams they're playing against weren't. They they weren't really even Division One teams. So it's great for Duke and for Kentucky to promote their players to get some run to get some cohesion. So that when they hit the ground running early in November and playing these made-for-TV games, they've already played together. They don't have to, and they're, they're, the verbiage that they have to learn and some of the defensive slides and adjustments they have to make. The questions for Zion Williamson, being at six foot five, two 285 pounds, I just, I, I don't see playing at that weight as a good idea. Like, if I'm advising Zion, I'm telling him, hey, dude, look, you look great there, and you have an incredible burst. You can chase dudes down and block shots. But we got to try and get you in the 260s. Got to try and get you in the 260s. Got a couple months to do so. It's going to be about diet. It's going to be how we change your body, how we train you. Because Zion Williamson's ability to make it in the NBA and stick in the NBA, yes, he has to make jump shots. But it's can he play 82 games? And can he guard laterally five, five positions? You know, physically, with long arms and a thick body, there's not a ton of posts. He won't be big boyed that much, but can he guard these guys out in the perimeter? One, he hasn't always played hard defensively. And two, he's going to have to change his body. As much as he's an absolute tank and a physical freak when he plants his jump, his, 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 his jump foot and he flies all around, I think he's got to lighten up. And when you're, you sometimes we, we, we got to watch the game backwards. Can he defend point guards on switches? Can he guard on the perimeter? Is he tough enough underneath the basket playing against bigger players to box out, to rebound? Because the reason Draymond Green's not a great athlete, Draymond Green can't jump up and do anything that uh, that Zion can do. And frankly, Zion right now is going to progress towards being a better shooter um, than Draymond Green. Granted, very early, and he's got to put in massive reps, and it's against inferior competition. But Draymond played without a jump shot last year. Draymond Green is Draymond Green because his ability to pass, his ability to play five positions on offense, but more than anything, because he can guard defensively. That's the challenge to Zion Williams. All right, let's get to the to, to our special guest in the All Ball Podcast. His name is Mike Roll, played at UCLA. Well, that was great catching up with Mike. Uh, I'll tell you quickly my story of landing in Russia. So I was... Um, Sometime I'll go through the whole process and tell this story again. But here's what I remember. I was in Salina, Kansas, playing with the Salina Rattlers. And it was a short-term deal because I knew I was going to get a call to play overseas. And an agent at the time called me and said, hey, do you want to go to Russia? And I was like, sure. So we packed up our stuff from Salina. I dropped my wife off in Oklahoma City at our apartment in Oklahoma. Uh, well, no, I think at, at her, our, her parents' house. And she was going to join me in a couple of weeks. And no, we had an apartment in Oklahoma City. And so we, I drop her off at her apartment in Oklahoma City, like a four-hour drive or so. I fly from Oklahoma City to New York City. New York City, you have to go to the Russian consulate. And then overnight, I fly uh, uh, on Aeroflot to Russia. I land in Moscow. And when you land in Moscow, you don't speak any English. And at the time, this is 2001, January 2001, snowing outside. Everybody's smoking everywhere. You land, you go through, you get your bags, you got all your lifely possessions, and all there was was a sign in Russian with a basketball. This guy could have been an, a mur- an axe murderer, right? You've ever been on that road from 
from the Cancun airport to Playa del Carmen, and it's like a two-lane road each way, and there's nothing along the road, and you're like, if somebody murdered me right here, no one would ever know for months. That's the feeling when I got into the car in Russia. I was super groggy because I traveled again to New York City and then overnight, and I, I yet to master flying on red eyes and whatever, and smoke really bothered me. We stopped to eat at a Russian restaurant. Didn't speak English. The guy ordered for me. There's smoke everywhere. We drank tea afterwards, and I passed out in the car. And here's my, my most distinct memory in addition to the fact that the guy just had a sign and didn't speak any English who was driving me from one Moscow airport to another. If you've been to Russia and you didn't fly just into Moscow to stay, you knew you had to go to a different airport. I was so tired. It was like a spy movie where somebody – I was like B.A. Baracus in the A-team, right, where they gave me a shot, and I was like in and out of consciousness. And I remember waking up and seeing like we're, we're pulling in. We're pulling by Red Square. We're like a mile out. And then I woke up again, and we're right next to Red Square. And then I woke up again, and Red Square was gone. But I remember seeing – Red Square and the towers and all the look. And I'm like, I, I could not believe growing up in the 80s, watching Red Dawn, Wolverines, or Rocky Four. Vice can change and you can change. We all can change. That I was in Mother Russia. But I was. And then I passed out. And I woke up and I'm at another airport. And there weren't sheep and goats and chickens and pigs that got on my flight to Perm, Russia, but it sure felt that way. And I remember the seats on that Aeroflot plane, if you nobody was sitting in it, you could push it forward, they would almost fold down. Like it was like being on a on a weird bus, only we were flying and people were smoking and drinking vodka and cognac. You drink cognac to uh to take a shot to uh for a, a famous war. Uh for Stalingrad. They go the Stalingrad and they drink excessively. We land in Perm, Russia. And I remember getting off, and it was one of those, they, they bring the stairs right to the plane. And you walk down the stairs, and you realize that you landed on like a, a foot-thick piece of ice because it's that cold. What's the, point of, what's the point of going back and getting the ice when it's that cold every day? I had a park on, had some gloves on, and a beanie on, and a scarf on. And all you can see is my face and my breath, and I had like an Oklahoma State park on. The bags come in outside, and... Again, this time I walk outside and there's a lady who does speak some broken English. They put me in a van that has the basketball logo on the van and they take me to my apartment, which is on the ninth floor. And I remember like walking up the stairs or going up the elevator, getting to the ninth floor, uh, opening, uh, opening the door and looking around and thinking to myself, this is either the start or the end of my basketball career. That's playing overseas. That's what it's really like. No food in the apartment. Had to go and pick out stuff. Learned that the word this is eta. So I'd walk around the store and go eta, 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 pajalsta, which is please, pajalsta, pajalsta, pajalsta. And I didn't know that Russians don't really say please and thank you that much. So they could pick me out that in addition to the fact that I couldn't speak Russian, I was saying please and thank you a lot. Anyway, there's my Russian story for the day. Guy picking me up, doesn't speak English, holding a sign, driving me across Moscow, stopping for dinner, to which he made the mime, do you want to eat? And I said, yes. I still don't know what I ate. It was quite gross. I drank tea. I fell asleep. I woke up. I was at another airport. More smoke, more drinking, land, sheet of ice, baggage, van, close the door to van, ninth floor. I'm in my apartment. I pass out. Woke up the next day and played ball. 
right, let's welcome in Mike Roll, who, of course, starred at UCLA and now is a star with uh, one of the elite teams in all of professional basketball. He plays for Maccabi Tel Aviv. Kind enough to spend some time with us here on the All Ball Podcast. Mike, how are you? Great. How are you? I'm I'm good. Um, so, look, at the time of this recording, I believe you leave for Israel tomorrow, right? Yeah, in about 30 hours. All right, the 30 hours uh, between uh, now and the nonstop flight to, to Tel Aviv. I, I wanted, if if you don't mind, I, I wanted to go down kind of memory road and because I, I think your path is amazing. It really is. Uh, from high school, when you were supposed to go to UCSB, to going to UCLA, playing on some Final Four teams, and then, you know, kind of fighting your way up the ladder in professional basketball to play for, you know, Besiktash and now Maccabi Tel Aviv, you know, being a Turkish League all-star before you come over to Israel. Like, th- that that's the climb that I, I don't think a lot of people in the States get a chance to hear from. Um, let, let's start Let's start with, with high school and recruiting. You were highly touted, play, out of Mission Viejo, and you were supposed to go to UCSB. Why the change in going to UCLA? Yeah, so the uh, the recruitment from UCLA was a late thing. Uh, I went through the whole recruiting process. You know, I fell in love with a couple of schools, ultimately chose Santa Barbara, uh, wanted to stay a little bit close to home. And then I had verbally committed, and I was really excited about that. And then shortly into the beginning of my senior year, I believe it was, um, Coach Allen called me. Uh, he offered me a scholarship right there on the phone. And that was just something too good for me to pass up, and luckily I took it. Yeah, I, I remember it's it's interesting because um, I obviously also grew up in Orange County. I remember I was at Tustin High School. My my sister was the cheerleader at UCLA. My brother went to school there. Uh, and they didn't offer me. It wasn't late. They didn't have to be till summer before my senior year. And I kind of held it against them, right? I was like, dude, like you've known me since I was knee high. I used to be a ball yeah. boy when, when Walt Hazard was there. And – uh, like it was, it, it felt like a perfect match, although maybe I had to kind of blow up at ABCD camp before I could get there. So how did you process the idea of like, Hey, I could go to UCSB and maybe start for four years. Plus if you haven't been, if somebody hasn't been, I would, I would put down UCSB's campus as the best in California, even better than Pepperdine because Pepperdine overlooks the water. Whereas UCSB is literally on the water. Um, and it's like a better, it's a party town. It's a, it's a cool place to go to school. Uh, how did you process the idea of, going to UCSB and being a star as opposed to being part of an ensemble cast at UCLA? Yeah, so my dad uh, originally was so against the idea of me going to UCLA for exactly what you said. Uh, He thought I would be the bigger fish in the small pond at Santa Barbara and the small fish in the big pond at UCLA. Um, Ben Holland had just got there. He had really recruited some stars. Um, the class before me was in my position was Aaron Aflalo and the other guard was Jordan Farmar and Josh Ship, the talented crew. Um, so at first, you know, I was a little bit hesitant because of what my dad said. Um, but after that, you know, I thought about it. I believed in myself. And UCLA basketball and all the allure and everything about it, you know, I just wanted to be a part of that brotherhood, that community. And I just ultimately took the jump. But like you said, Santa Barbara, that campus, wow, unbelievable. I already knew a bunch of friends that were going to go to school there. You know, I'm familiar with Santa Barbara not being that far. So that that part, it was tough because I was like, ah, traffic in Los Angeles, you know, the whole school. Like, I, I'm in love with the whole Santa Barbara. You skateboard, you bike to class, you can surf on the weekends. 
So that part, it was a change of mentality. And ultimately, for me, I love hoops, and that's what I wanted out. All right, so you go to UCLA, you show up, and your your first team at UCLA, who was on it? Uh, it was Cedric Bozeman, Ryan Hollins, Aaron Aflalo, Jordan Farmar, Josh Shipp. Uh, my my class was there in Collison, Luke and Bahamute, and two other talented freshmen. We were a, a very star-studded team, very good team. Uh, ended up making the Final Four. We won the Pac-10. Wow, it was great. What was it about Howland that allowed you? I mean, look, you guys had you just named off seven NBA players, right? Outside of yourself, right? Um, and and Josh Shipp, who I don't think played in the league, but I know he played overseas. So you got seven NBA players, and you being a uh, like a European League All Star, like those are some that's elite level of talent outside of the talent, which which was important. And as soon as Howland got the job, he hit the ground running and recruited LA hard. Uh, what what was it allowed that allowed him to be successful coaching wise from your perspective? Yeah, he's he's uh he demands physicality and toughness, and prior to him coming at UCLA, I think that's what everybody was lacking there. Um, he he got the most out of our talent with that toughness. You know, he's playing hard, makes up for a lot of mistakes, and he, we were all just able to believe in what he said in that sense and. We just played, you know, 100% every night and gave everything. We made up for a lot of the small details that the mistakes that you make in basketball by just overcoming with your, your power and your will. Yeah, it brought some of that mentality from his time. It's interesting, kind of the, the ties that bind, right? Like he was he started his career at UCSB, worked his way around to the East Coast, and brought some of that kind of East Coast back uh, to UCLA. Uh, your second year, you go back, you go back to the Final Four, and you didn't you face Florida again, right? Wasn't that the you played him again, yeah. and kind of the same thing happened, right? He used, you guys used to hedge hard almost to double team uh, ball screens, and you would always post double. And it was like the one team in college basketball that you could not play that way against. It felt like the same game plan the second time around. Yeah, looking back on it, uh, it definitely hurts. Uh, you know, they had two twin towers down there, Joe Kim Noah and Al Horford, and yeah, we we like to double the post. Uh, we believe that, you know, bad passers can't pass out and good players, you need help. So we kind of went with a similar game plan. And, you know, they had really good pieces to that. Troy Humphreys was out there. Um, or Lee Humphreys, I think it was. Yeah. Was out there just knocking down wide open threes. How bad did you how, double. how bad did you want to be that guy, right? Lee Humphreys. Like, they had all those players. Like, dude, <laughs> yeah. if I went to Florida, that would be me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, two twin towers. Corey Brewer on the wing, Torian Green was a very solid point guard for them. Uh, he, he just had open looks, and, I mean, at that level, it, it's cash money. Okay, so, look, you play with all these different dudes. Russ comes in, right? You got D.C., Darren Collison, Drew Holiday. You played with Kevin Love. Of those, in college, did you know Russ would be Russ? Did not know Russ would be Russ. Uh, I knew he had a crazy work ethic. But when he came in, you, if you go back and look at the pictures, he's this gangly, skinny freshman. Uh, you can tell he's really athletic, but you don't know if he's going to be able to put it all together. Uh, he slowly fills out a little bit more his sophomore year. And the best thing that happened to him was that Darren Collison got hurt at the beginning of the year. We had to slide Russell over to the point guard, and that's where he got his feet wet. Uh, he was very turnover prone at the time yeah you know, i think he was learning the point guard position but you could just see flashes of brilliance 
his athleticism out there. He could really play defense. Uh, his his rebounding was elite. And after that, I mean, he just shot up the, the draft. Yeah, but you also – he had – I remember he had that dunk against Cal that was just phenomenal. But I just – Oregon. It was Oregon. Oregon. He had one against Cal, too. My brother was at, at – but, I mean, like, look, he just yeah. – su- such a freak. But uh, you UCLA wasn't known – to have a great strength program. Like, you didn't have guys that did his body change naturally, or was it working with your guys? Did he work somebody? How did he go from nine minutes a game as a freshman to the fourth pick and such a freak athlete? Yeah, that's it's amazing to see, for one, but I think Russell is just naturally gifted. Um, to be what he is now, I mean, you have to have a really a God-given body and talent. He's worked hard. But what he has, I think, is not natural for many humans. Okay. Oh, what about Kevin Love? When you Ke- Kevin Love, I was always told, like, dude was a star, but, but there were a lot of people that didn't like Kevin Love. There was something about his personality. What was his personality like when he first showed up in Westwood? Yeah, he, he, you could tell that he loved basketball. Uh, immediately, I loved that about him. He was always wanting to play, always wanting to work. Uh, super skilled, like far more skilled than any big that we had. Footwork, spin moves, his feel for the game, uh, where how to steal guys. Wow, his ceiling ability down low was unbelievable. We played Stanford his freshman year, and they had the two two Lopez twins at the time, and I think he out outstatted both of them combined. Uh, wow. He's just sealing them right under the paint. They're a little taller than he is. They can't block his shot because he's so good with his body. Uh, he was a really nice guy, so I mean, his time there, it was really enjoyable. Uh, okay, so Drew comes in there, and um, when you came back from injury after your medical redshirt year, you were behind uh, Drew, and of course, D.C. chose to not go pro, so they were kind of, you know, Drew wanted to play the point. Howland probably promised him he'd play the point, only he played the two. They didn't seem to get along. What was what was Drew Holiday like to play with in college? Yeah, Drew's a... A, a quiet guy. Um, he's very good. You could see that also the minute he stepped on the campus. Uh, the thing that struck me for Drew was his left hand. He's always going back to the left hand. Uh, he prefers that. So many guys, you know, think that he's right-handed. He's always trying to get that, and he could just easily get by people because they're not used to that. Um, but he is very nice, and yeah, he wanted to play the point. But DC was such a good college point guard. He ran it exactly how Ben Hallen wanted, how we wanted to play defense. So uh, it was like he got a give and take at the time for both coach and for both of them. You know, one of the things that, that impressed me about your career in college was through all of this, through all these NBA, McDonald's, All-Americans, Breen brought in one and done, two and done, whatever. Like, it, it felt like you kept working, whereas a lot of guys, they get mad and they transfer so they can play. Or... You know, they just kind of accept their role and almost shut it down. What what was really going on behind the scenes? You, your dad, you and your friends, uh, you just internally. How did you process kind of fighting for every scrap in terms of playing time and sometimes not being rewarded with it? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. It was a battle inside. I heard, you know, all the rumors of, who they wanted to bring in. At first, it was, they were really recruiting Chase Budinger hard. And my trainer was like, I don't understand. They have you. Why do they want another guard? And there was always something. Who was going to transfer in? But I was already behind in, an NBA player in Aaron Aflalo. So for me, every day, 
it was just trying to get better. You know, I didn't know who they were going to bring in, and I told myself I couldn't worry about that anymore. I just, I was there. I was living the UCLA dream. We were really good. I had a chance to be a pro, and I figured that out when I got to college. So for me, it was just trying to improve and trying to scrape as many minutes as possible. I knew we were one of the more loaded teams at the guard position in the whole country. Uh, we had college scouts nearly every day at practice. So it was a great opportunity. And as soon as I got in that mode, in that mode attacking all the time, uh, you could see my improvement every year. And I was gaining more and more minutes. And by the time that I was, you know, my fourth and my fifth year, um, I was one of the leaders of the team. Yeah, no, he led the team in scoring and I believe in assists, um, uh, you know, in, in your in your season season. And, of course, you played uh, like 147 games there. Nobody knows more about you playing UCLA basketball games than Mike Roll, <laughs> who joins us. All right, so here's the here's the part that, that I really want to get to. You get – because so many people can, can use this as useful information – whether it's high school kids, AAU kids, or coaches, college kids as well, listen to the, or, uh, or, or just people that want to know about basketball. Your career gets done at UCLA. Yeah, you play in the Reese's uh, All-American game at the Final Four. Uh, take me through the process of you had summer league, you had the draft, you have overseas basketball. Did you sign with an agent right away? What, 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 what happened first? Take me through the succession of events. So I'm – graduated my senior I'm playing the Reese's all-star game that was a really fun experience I'm kind of gauging what everybody else is doing who they're talking to agent wise what their next steps are uh, I decided to go with Chris Emmons from Octagon he's my agent um, the only real agent that recruited me basically so I was happy with that uh, we started training at the uh, at the AP facility which is in Carson California athletes performance uh, for the pre-draft we're in there six days a week all the way from the time that I graduated to the pre-draft. So I'm thinking, okay, let's get these workouts in. I think I had eight to ten workouts. Um, when I went, I, I killed the workouts. But the, the nomenclature against me, you know, I'm a white guy. They think I'm slow just because I'm white and this is a basketball. Uh, they think I'm strictly a shooter. I get to the workouts. I show that I can handle a little bit. I can still get past guys. But it's not enough to get me drafted. Um, I'm, I'm a realist. I didn't think I was going to be. I just thought I had to get a shot maybe uh, at a, a camp deal or something like that. So I go. I have a great summer league. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait. Let's go, back, let's go back to the workouts. Let's go back to the workouts. Give me, um, some, give me somebody you killed in the workout. That, that's, that's, that's somebody you killed in the workout. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm not going to say I killed, but okay. There was, um, I got to go up against one-on-one -on -one session with Paul George in the Valley with Danny Ainge there. It was just him and I. I have more than held my own. Uh, that was very eye-opening. I got to go up against Gordon Hayward uh, for the Warriors up in, up in the Bay. Did very well there. Um, and then the other group sessions, it was most of them were just shooting skills, and I was well-prepared training with Miles Simon for the pre-draft. I was in elite shape, so I was just outrunning everybody. I handled everything that they threw at me, and so – as the word kind of got out that, I, you know, I was a little bit better than what I was able to show at UCLA, I kept getting more calls to come work out, and it, it was better for me. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring up that, like, the, the so oftentimes we don't discuss it enough on radio and TV is the idea that, hey, look, you're a white guy, and so second you walk in the gym, they'll be, shooter, right, shooter. Um, 
in these and look one on one it doesn't doesn't matter as much but how much of it did you try and prove people wrong and how much of it did you just try and play your game right because that's what they say but pros do what they do well and don't do what they don't do well on the other hand you, you do want to prove like hey dude i got a good first step i am a really good athlete H- how'd you handle that in your workouts yeah that's, that's a great point so because me i'm i'm great in a system you know I, I have a great feel for the game five on five i can make reads i can cut off of other people so i'm a lot better in that sense but in the workouts it's one-on-one two-on-two so you want to show everything that you can, you know, in the one on zero, you're trying to do these crazy dunks, show that you can jump more than they think. Uh, like you said, they think I'm a shooter immediately. They think I'm probably slow. So as I'm going to, up against, you know, my fellow classmates and I score, whatever happens, they're kind of looking at me like, oh, okay, this kid can play a little bit more than I expect. That's just how it is when you're a, a white basketball player coming up. Uh, that's just how it goes. So try to do everything as much as you can, as best as possible, just to show that, you know, it's not just you're strictly a shooter. All right, so you, you decide to go to Toronto for the summer. You go undrafted. What's that like, by the way? Like, let's go back to the 2010 draft. Did you watch? Yeah, uh, I did watch. Uh, I watched the probably the first 15 picks, and then after that it was just taking too long. Um, Chris had not called me saying there was any buzz, so I, I just figured that I wasn't going to get drafted. And I wanted to just hear from him the next day to see if we could get a camp deal or what was the next step. Uh, Every day with Landry Fields. So I was really excited for Landry because I had a feeling that he was going to get drafted. And as soon as I found out that the Knicks picked him, um, it was was just a a good night for that. And we were all happy. Most, a lot of guys, a lot of guys who think they should get drafted, fire their agent right after the draft, right? Like, that's that's the whole thing. Everybody's, I'm late first, early second, and you want to be somebody's second agent because in order to land you as their client, they have to tell you that they're going to get you drafted. Uh, that, was, that wasn't the case with you and Chris, correct? No, absolutely not. Um, I, I just wanted to have a good situation, whether it was trying to get a camp deal or overseas. You know, I had a couple friends already that played overseas basketball. They liked it. So I was definitely open-minded to going to Europe and going that route. So uh, how did it come to be that you, your first gig ended up being in uh, Bornova in, in Turkey? Yeah, so I, I go to Summer League with the Raptors. Uh, we have like a mini, mini training camp up in Toronto prior to uh, going out to Las Vegas. And that's when a bunch of those guys were young, DeMar DeRozan, Sonny Weems, Joey Dorsey. Um, Jared Jack was up there for the camp, although he, he was not a part of that. He was just out there shooting. Uh, we had a great camp. I definitely raised some eyes there, but again, nothing happened. I think their team was already filled. So I, Chris came to me, said, I got this good deal in Turkey. The Turkish league is really good. If you go show that you can play there, then you could really move up the ladder in Europe in a hurry. So I decided to take that jump and, and that's where I signed. Okay, wait. Let's go, let's go back to when you're when you're in Toronto. Um, my summer league experience was with the Lakers, and I remember walking into the building. And the first like week I walked into the building, I was I felt like a foreigner, like I didn't belong there. You, you look up and there's posters. You know, there's there's Kareem and there's Wilt and there's at the time Shaq and Kobe are playing there and they're winning championships. I'm like, what in the hell am I doing here? And then like. You know, a week and a half in, you start to know everybody at the facility. You start to feel like you put on the jersey. It doesn't feel foreign to you. And 
it, you have to have some sort of confidence that you can play. Uh, as much as you were raising eyebrows, was there a moment to which you're like, dude, I'm going to make this thing only to have it have it have it work the other way when they came in and told you uh, we're going to we're going to let you go and and keep an eye on you? Yeah, uh, we played I think it was we played the Knicks in the summer league. Uh, I think it was maybe the first or second game and I hadn't been playing too much. And then they gave me a, a huge opportunity in the second half. Um, I really made some nice buckets. I think it was like 15 points in the second half. I'm after that. I'm like, okay, they're going to give me a real chance from here on out, this and that. And then it, it kind of just didn't go my way after that point. I didn't get as much playing time. They told me that they were already stacked at the guard position, so they weren't looking for another one. And that's when it was like kind of like a blow, you know, to the stomach. As much as I didn't think I was – going to be able to make the, the NBA my first year around, it, it still hurts to hear. No, no no question. I think the other thing is your college career, because you had so, uh, so many different roles, actually probably prepares you to be a role player in the NBA better than other guys, right? Like most guys, the, the hardest thing I think that most players adjust, uh, struggle to adjust to is, you know, from the time they're eight years old until the time that they're drafted in the NBA, they start they play three quarters or more of the minutes. And so now you get to a higher level of competition with harder rules, further shots, fewer touches, and you're supposed to play better, you know, play play more efficient basketball, which is, by the way, what you had had to do to get on the court at UCLA. Limited shots, mm-hmm. limited opportunities, and be more efficient even than starters during that time. Like the crazy part about it is because of your various roles at UCLA, you were actually probably more prepared to be a bench player in the NBA than many more elite athletic talents or how they're perceived to be better prospects. That You couldn't have put that in a better way. A lot of these guys growing up, you know, obviously they're spoon-fed so many things from so many people telling them they're the best. They still think that they have that killer mentality, but when you get to the NBA, it's a niche. There's only a few superstars on the team that get the ball so many 20 times a game or more. Uh, so everybody that they're looking for, you got to find your niche in the league. It's a specialty. So for me, I, I could easily accept that role. And willingly, I've done it before. I would be happy to do it then. But a lot of these guys are not willing to maybe take a step back in their eyes to further their career, to make their career longer. So, like you said, I could have easily filled that that uh, that role for a long time compared to others. Yeah, man, I'm looking at some dudes that got drafted in 2010. Some of these names aren't going to sit well with you. You know, like, look, Lance Stevenson right behind Landry. He's still in the league. But, like, Andy Routens. I know his dad was a great player. He's a good shooter at Syracuse. But, come on, man, he didn't do the things. All the, the – I mean – Tiny Gallon, God, he, he stunk. Willie Warren, a couple Oklahoma guys. Yee, yee. There's some guys that never yeah, even got I mean, A lot of these guys, they're not even playing anymore. It, it makes you wonder, like, did they even love basketball? Were they willing to work? It's just because maybe they had a better situation in college or had more opportunity on a lesser team, so they got a better look. But if you look at who I was playing with every day, it was, it was like an NBA team already. No question. No question. Daniel Orton, who didn't even play at Kentucky, he got drafted by Orlando uh, in the first round. And, I mean, never really sniffed the NBA. Mike Roll is our guest here on the All Ball Podcast. What do you remember about your, the first flight from Orange, from Southern California, from LAX to, to Turkey? Uh, it was a harsh landing. I got there. I had never been to Turkey before. Um, I had to use the restroom immediately when I got off the flight. So I go in inside the airport. Uh, there's no toilets. It's the hole in the ground. 
and it's extremely hot. I don't speak Turkish. I'm super flustered. Like, what am I doing here? So I have this moment. I'm thinking to myself, I need to lock it up. I need to get it together. But it, it's just all coming at me. It's surreal. I'm in a completely foreign country. I don't know how to communicate with these people. I don't know who's picking me up. I have no idea where to go. I'm sweating profusely because I have all these bags. It's already super hot. It's like I grew up in a great location in Southern California, and here I am. Why am I doing this? <laughs> now, you, when you landed, where did you where did you where did you land? Did you land in Istanbul because because like Bornova, that's a different like you got to take another flight, right? So when you got yeah, off, yeah. So Bornova is in Izmir, so I had to make a connecting flight down to Izmir. Um, well, now that I'm familiar with it, Izmir is a beautiful place in in uh, in Turkey, but at the time I had no idea and I didn't know that the bathrooms were like that. I didn't know about the prayer calls going on. So it was all just hitting me like uh, like I was wide-eyed. Okay, so uh, you land. Cause I, so I remember my first flight to, to Russia. Okay, so you land. And, the yeah, the, the having them pick you up, like, again, now it's not as big a deal because now you have, I mean, probably you're, you're still like cell phone and text message or whatever. But you, you finally walk out of that restroom. And, what, was there a guy with a sign that had a basketball on it and it was written in Turkish? Is that about right? So you would think the guy wasn't even there to pick me up on time. I, so I go out. I have all these bags. Uh, I have no idea where to go. So I just sit on this bench, and he's like 40 minutes late to picking me up. He comes in with a piece of paper, says Michael Roll. And I'm like, oh, wow, thanks for being on time. Thanks for letting me come from halfway across the world, and this is what you have to do. So I was already upset. I was already, you know, really flustered. And so he picks me up, and, and then it just goes downhill from that okay, moment. Okay, wait, wait. So, so, then, so then where do you go? Did you go right to, to practice the facility? Did you go to your so, new apartment? No, Where'd you he, go? He, he took me to my apartment, or what I thought was going to be in my apartment, but it was a disaster. The bed frames were broken. There was nails hanging out. Uh, the freezer was already iced over. They hadn't cleaned it in a, since the end of last season, so like three months prior. Um, the windows were all closed, so it, it just smelled so bad, and I just couldn't handle it. I was, I'm not, I'm not sleeping here. What, what is this? And so he said, okay. So he took me to a different apartment that they had. We spent the night, and then uh, I went to training camp the next morning. So, so you go to training camp, and again, like you'd played in all these teams in all these parts of the state. Do you remember? Did anything stick out to you about about your first training session? Yeah, uh, in, in training camp, you know, I thought it was thought it was going to be strictly basketball. But over there, you know, they play soccer to warm up. Sometimes we played tag, we played partner tag, where you have to hold a hand, then you have to go tag another two people. It was like they were just punching the time card. We weren't there to play basketball and get better. It was like just just fun for them. It was, it was just really strange. Yeah, it was really strange. Did you have to do the Cooper test for the conditioning? I remember having to do the Cooper test. We have to go out and run on a track, right? And yeah. there's like an optimal time. And I, like, I remember I, like you're hanging out with vet Americans The vet Americans like, man, this shit doesn't matter. Whereas like, I'm sitting here like, dude, I'm trying to make the team. I'm sprinting the whole way. What was your mentality? Yeah, yeah exactly like that. You know, as a rookie, I'm like, oh man, I better be first. I better finish. I want to play. Coach needs to like me. So I'm like sprinting hard, doing all these these dumb drills, and the, the couple of vets on my team are just <laughs> laughing, laying in the back, just just kind of slowly getting in shape themselves. How'd the season go? 
Uh, well, I didn't even end up finishing the year there. Uh, it was going fine while I was there. And then I ended up um, going to a different team in Belgium because they started to have some money issues. Uh, dudes were getting paid late. So, yeah, I went to Belgium uh, about January of that season. Okay, but so when when you le- you leave Turkey and you go to Belgium, but you went to one of the better teams. Wasn't Antwerp one of the better teams in Belgium? Yes. And and I think, like, you guys even got to the finals. What was the level of competition like, compare and contrast, playing in Turkey to playing in Belgium? So the, the level in Turkey is higher. Uh, there's a bigger budget teams, um, some really good foreigners there. Belgium's more of a smaller league, um, but it was still very good competition, still some pros throughout there. So it was a lot easier living um, wise in Belgium, uh, more similar to the States. Really, really clean. When I've been there, it's been super, super clean. Yeah, it's an amazing country. I I couldn't have enjoyed my time more. I made friends that I still have to this day uh, while in Belgium. And I mean, it was just memories stick out and I would love to go back anytime. Okay, so you get done, you, you lead them to the finals. Uh, and you had some huge games. So you start your you start in Turkey, you end in Belgium, you get back home to the States, and what's your agent saying? Uh, he's he's asking me if I want to do the summer league route again. Um, and at that point, it, it's already June. And I'm thinking, well, holy cow, like my summer's already about to finish and I just got home. So he's telling me these couple teams are calling, an Italian team is calling. I'm like, oh, I've heard about basketball in Italy. I've heard it's great. Um, you know, the process goes on, but I end up re-signing with Antwerp for my second year. Uh, I got some some fairly good money at the time, and, you know, I just wanted to go with that. So you go back. Um, how, did, how did it come about that you end up in Zaragoza? So after my second year in, uh, in Belgium, I played great that year. Um, just the, the Spanish team the following season, they wanted me. I signed a one-plus-one contract, and I ended up playing two years there. Okay, Zaragoza is in the ACB. It's arguably the best, uh, the best league outside of the NBA, right? Uh, is that that's not a that, that's a fair like? I know that's some of the top level. T- okay, so now tell me about the flight from the states to Spain to Zaragoza in comparison to the one you told us about in Turkey. By now, you've traveled overseas a bunch. You land there. Is there a is there a ticker tape parade? Is there a bunch of dudes meeting you, or are you waiting on the curb again like you were in Turkey? So immediately, uh, prior to me leaving, they they tell me exactly what's happening. I'm catching this flight. We've already set up a taxi cab to pick you up in Madrid, take you to the train station. You take the high-speed rail to Zaragoza. It was all very organized. There was already people waiting for me when I got off the train station in Zaragoza. It was it was great. They were very welcoming. And they were ready for my arrival. So that, that was awesome. So you got to play against some of these players that are now in the States, many that are still starring overseas. Who's the best player you remember playing against in Spain? In Spain? Um, well, first of all, last year, Luka Doncic was very good. I will definitely say that. But at the time, maybe Sergio Yule. Uh, he plays for Real Madrid. He is fantastic i think the the houston rockets have his rights but i think he's just gonna stay in spain for his whole career then you went back to turkey you spent two years in spain you went back to turkey second time around you played for two different uh, actually three or four different clubs in turkey mm-hmm. like are you and and then when did you get tunisian citizenship that was one of those deals right where you got to pay like 20 grand to get tunisian citizenship so you you call you qualify right like you're, you're you have no tunisian background do you 
Uh, I do not. But so I played with Salah Mesri, who plays for the Mavericks. He's Tunisian. I played with him in Belgium, and they can nationalize one player for the Afro Basket and the Olympics. So uh, I spoke with him and the coach, and I was able to get that done. And that has been a real blessing and so much fun. Okay, so you get to play with the Tunisian national national team. Correct. What is that like? That wow, what an experience! I uh, I first played a couple of years ago at the Afro Basket um, in Tunis, Tunisia, actually, and we the winner uh, was able to go to the Olympics the following year. So we had a really good chance. We're a very good team. Uh, we did come up short. We lost in the semifinals to Angola. Um, and then we, we ended up winning the, the bronze, the third-place game. Okay, what's, but, what's, um, what's, what's Tunisia like? Tunisia is it's a lot like Greece. It's a beautiful country. It's a coastal. Uh, water is very clear. They speak French, Arabic. Uh, it's, it's really a great place, so I suggest anybody go if they can. Okay, so when you, when you go to Tunisia and you being you know having Tunisian citizenship— what do, you, do they speak English to you? Do you know French now? How do you how do you function? So the coach, really cool guy. He speaks many different languages. He would speak French to the guys, and either they would break it down for me um, for the few French words that I didn't know, or he would just speak to me in English. Um, I mean, you know, the, the things that I didn't need to understand, if he was just talking to everybody else, then they, they would just let it fly by. But otherwise, they would break it down to me however I wanted you mentioned the, the the calls to prayer. Of course, playing all these years in Turkey, playing as a member of the Tunisian national team. You're playing in countries which are either partially or predominantly Muslim. How how have how have you been treated as an American uh, playing in these foreign countries when uh, uh, you know when there's there's this perception of a, of a divide internationally between Muslims and Americans? Yeah, so there is that perception, but. Through the basketball lines, it doesn't happen. I've been treated great. As soon as I mention, you know, I'm here for basketball, I play for this club, everything is fantastic. They welcome me with open arms. They're, they always have so many questions. You know, what's America like? Oh, you're from California. Oh, I want to visit there. Is it like the TV show, the OC? It just goes on and on, but everybody is very friendly, and it's been great. It is like the TV show OC, right? Did you say that's exactly what it's like? It's actually a lot like <laughs> 90210. That's exactly uh, that's exactly what it's like where I grew up. Yeah, very similar. Okay, this year you end up going to Israel, playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv. And, look, you play for Beshitash. We mentioned you played in Spain. Um, Maccabi Tel Aviv, to people who don't know, is one of the premier clubs in all of, of, of FIBA. Uh, I, I got I to first ask you, when you sign with Maccabi Tel Aviv and you go through customs, like one of the things that does set off an alarm is when you have Arabic on your passport, and obviously, and you have a Tunisian passport, which is an Arabic country. Was there any issues? Did they give you any pushback when you first showed up at Maccabi Tel Aviv? No, absolutely not. First of all, I'm presenting my American passport. Right, right. Um, but I think Maccabi Tel Aviv is such a huge brand throughout Israel that they know all of the players as soon as they sign them. So I land, and it's nothing but love. They're excited for the new season. Um, they know that I already play for the team, which I did not know at the time. You know, everybody's already know knows everything about me, it seems like, and it, it's just pure love. Okay, so you're playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv, and people didn't follow your guys' season. You guys had kind of a up-and-down mercurial season, um, and you end up winning the, the Cup, 
and the league championship, which was in doubt for a good portion of the season, uh, playing for a team that is I mean, you're basically the Lakers of the country, right? That's not a that's not an overstatement, right? Like you're expected no, to win every you're expected to win every game. You're expected to get to the final four, and they cover it on the on the nightly news. They get all the news stations cover everything. That's that's kind of your first experience since UCLA of playing for a dominant franchise, right? Is is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. So what was it like for you to play inside that fishbowl while, you know, learning how to play in Israel? You know, for me, it was fine. Um, I'm I'm very much all about the hoop when, I, when I'm playing during the season. You know, I take care of my body. I'm not going out at night and, and living this wild lifestyle. So for me, whenever I'm out and people are saying something, you know, it's just we're wishing you luck. But like you said, as soon as we lose a game, it's like the world is upside down. We, we, how could we lose to them? We're not supposed to lose any games. So it, it was definitely everything was very magnified. But as soon as I got used to that, you know, it was totally great, and I, I learned to appreciate it. Uh, you're working on here your eighth season as a, uh, as a professional. Going so, on my ninth. Going on your ninth. Sorry. We're working on your ninth season as a professional. And uh, I, I guess you, you mentioned taking care of your body. How, let's, let's go from you're in college, you go through the pre-draft process, you work with Miles and, the, and those guys at Athletes Performance um, to now. Like, how do you, do you, do you keep working on the same things? Do you try and add something to your game? What's your process been like in the offseason? Yeah, so every, every summer is a little bit different uh, as far as what I want to add. Um, I've definitely tightened my ham, handle over the years. A lot more things have be coming off the bounce and through the pick and roll. So that has definitely been added to my game. Um, I've added strength over time. And, you know, I've had to add, play different roles for every team. So as soon as I find out where I'm going and, and what, what kind of role I'm going to be playing, then that's kind of what I gear the summer towards. How much easier is it playing a second year with the same club? You did it in, in Belgium. You did it in Spain. And now you're doing it. Uh, with Maccabi Tel Aviv, you know, one of the things I think that guys I personally struggle with is, like, you know, it takes you a good amount of time to kind of learn the surroundings, learn the coach. Every country has a different style of basketball. Uh, you played in Turkey for a good amount of time. Um, is is that part of your thought process, which is like, hey, maybe I can go out and search the extra dollar somewhere else, but I'm more likely to have success going back to the same place because I know everything. Yeah, um, basketball is basketball. So, you know, there's a few minor differences, but as soon as you – get on the court you know everything's pretty similar but it's the off the court stuff that makes you feel comfortable and being in a foreign country so far away from home the more comfortable you are the better you're going to play so as i'm familiar with where to go to get my groceries where to get my haircut you know every little thing every detail of it becomes easier i feel more comfortable and things just go better on the court. How do you maintain contact with the states? You know, I think one of the things, it's easier now, obviously, and in Israel you can watch ESPN and, and you, can, you can feel like it's, but it's, it's not America, right? Like, and right. you do still, you know, like you want to watch football on a Saturday. You want to watch football on a Sunday. You want to still feel like, you know, that you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you maintain the balance of, of home while being abroad this long? Yeah, you, you, you have to do it as best as you can. But, you know, there's there's technology. I have a sling box, which connects to my, my TV in America, so I can keep the same television shows, the same sporting events. I even get the same commercials. 
Um, you know, obviously FaceTime is a huge thing with your friends, iMessage. So you just got to balance it. You know, a lot of things happen so late at night, Israeli time, compared to what's going on in the States for sporting events. So a lot of times you'll record something and stay up the ne- and watch it the next day so you're not staying up all night. Um, you know, you got the group chats are always going off in the middle of the night because it's their, their evening time. You have to, you know, just pick and choose what you want to deal with. What about your diet? Diet is, is strong. The, a lot of vegetables, the older I get, more, more greens, more veggies. Uh, I try to stay chicken and fish, stay away from the red meat as much as I can. Um, having good starches, you know, sweet potatoes quinoa, brown rice, things like that. So you, you really have to stay on top of it the older you get. Is it fair to say that there's a lot of guys that maybe have more athletic, pure athletic talent that have fallen by the wayside, either going out, uh, they, they couldn't adjust to, like, what you did in Turkey, right? Show up, they don't know anybody, they freak out, dude, I got to go home. Or or the diet. Like, look, diet can, can undo you just as much as anything else because you're not eating right, your body's going to break down, you're going to get hurt and not perform at the same level. It's some of these some of those ancillary things which leads guys, like we mentioned, in the 2010 draft to not be playing as opposed to here you are, 31 years old, going on your ninth year, seemingly getting better and getting paid more money. Yeah, now that's the thing. Uh, at first, it's, you know, they don't want to go away from home. But then it's once it comes down to after that, it, it's basketball. It's taking care of your body. Um, the less sleep you get, if you're going out more, if you're eating McDonald's, you know, on the weekly. Uh, some guys I've seen do it on the daily. They'll tear a hamstring, be out six weeks, try to recover, come back, hurt their ankle. You, you do that one season, you're liable to – either get a very bad job the following year or be done. So it, it all adds up, and the diet just becomes more evident the later you get in your career. What about the NBA dream? Have you given up on it? I have not. Um, I'm not so much chasing it because I make a, a very good salary playing in Europe now. But, you know, the past couple of weeks I've been running with the Lakers up in El Segundo. Um, I can still play with those guys. I'm still doing great. Um, it's definitely evident, but to have a team want to take a early to mid 30 year year old white guy as a rookie, it's not likely. I know that, but of course I would love to be in the show. Yeah. But I mean, don't you fit, don't you fit the, like, let's just say the Lakers, right? Isn't that what they should want if they want to compete for a championship is a guy who, uh, I'm not going to say fat girl at the prom, just happy to be there, but a guy who understands how fortunate you are to be there, to come off the bench, being able to play five minutes or 35 minutes, and you know, like you said, you're all about hoop, you know how to play, if you get the ball and you're open, you make a shot, if not, you can move the ball and play within a system. Shouldn't like I've always thought if I was running a team, those are the guys that I want to fill out my bench with because they've been pros, they completely understand how to play and and, and the older you are, the more shots you make, the smarter the passes you make. I mean, I guess would the would the would the perception be the the defensive end and the ability to guard people? Uh, I mean, you hit it right on the head. Uh, no, nobody said all these um, upper office people were the brightest humans, <laughs> but I know how to I know how to play. I know who needs to get what shot. I can easily knock down the open shot and create a little bit. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's it's the defense. Um, you never know, but I've, I've been playing great with the Lakers the last couple of weeks. Um, so I'm already friends with Luke Wallen, so that's that's where that connection is. And, you know, we joke about it, but 
you know, it's at the NBA now. I think it's just going more towards the younger player with the more potential. Yeah, I don't, I don't know though, but I, I feel like at the top level, it's more about skill than it is athleticism, right? That skill has come back, skill shooting and passing has come back into the game. Um, as people have gone along with analytics, like, oh, wait a second, your ability to make a shot. Now, you also have to be able to defend multiple positions, but that's not always – I think some people th- think it's about athletic ability. I think it's about, you know, internal toughness, right, because mm-hmm. you just can't get punked and you can't allow yourself to get put in a bad spot. And even, hey, sometimes you can play great defense in the NBA and you're playing against better players and they just make shots. But I, I, I actually think – I think there are there is there are some young players, but those guys get stuffed away in the G League – and for the teams that really want to win, they want skill. They want shooting. They want passing. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so, like, the, the dream is still there. Uh, whether it's going to be pursued next season or not, I mean, that's to be determined. So, uh, we'll see. Uh, okay, I want to ask you about Luka Doncic. What, what's he like? Describe him as somebody who's played against him. Yeah, he, he's incredibly skilled. Uh, he sees the game, you know, a couple plays ahead of what's happening. He's got a great feel, whether it's passing. He can really shoot it. He's a really big guard. So I, I think he's going to do just fine. And the more experience he gets in America, the the better he'll do. You mentioned playing against the Lakers. The Lakers have this interesting confluence, right? They have the, these older guys, the Rondos, the Lance Stevensons, the Javels, and, of course, LeBron. And then they have the younger guys who, though they weren't really successful in terms of wins and losses, they started to win some games last year, and they want to kind of play Luke's system. And Luke comes from not just triangle with uh, with Phil Jackson, but also, you know, ball movement, a le- lot less isos, a lot less pick and rolls from, from Golden State. H- how do you see that playing out? Uh, I think they're going to be great, to be honest. I think they're, they're two units, all incredibly talented. They can really go. They can score. Uh, I think they're going to let LeBron maybe take a lesser role the first, you know, 40 minutes of the game so he's not so tired. And then once it comes down to crunch time, I mean, they have the, the trump card, basically. He's, he's amazing. Obviously, you give the ball to him at the end of the game and anything's tight, their, their odds of winning are very good. What do you think of Brandon Ingram? Wow, crazy talented. Uh, I didn't know he was that long. I mean, he's just like he's... I don't know, like a tarantula out there. Everything he does, his shot is pure, so skilled. So, I mean, as soon as he can get more weight on himself and, and learn the game more, he's going to be even better. Uh, obviously, Josh Hart blew up at Summer League. You think, can he be an NBA starter? Yeah, absolutely. He's really good. Very strong. Can really shoot it. He yeah, cra- crazy strong. Super easy. Like crazy strong, right? Happen. Mike, crazy strong, isn't he? Like He's like in the conversation of strongest guys on that team. I think last year he was the strongest guy on the team. Yeah, I mean, you can just, just look at him. You see he's super built. But the way he plays, you know, he gets his shoulder into somebody and, and he's knocking them back, creating space for himself. Uh, I think he, he's going to play a great year. Uh, Kuzma, what do you like about his game? I mean, obviously he blew up as a rookie, 22-year-old rookie. Seemingly he was better as an off-the-bench four than he was as a starting four. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what's his game like? Uh, well, I just love that he was always there super early and staying late. Uh, he's another guy that loves it. He's working super hard. Um, in, the, in the games, he, his motor is just incredible. He's, you know, right at you. He doesn't matter who's in front of him. He's going at them trying to get buckets, and 
he's just really good slashing and getting through there. All right, uh, we talked a little about diet. We talked about your your own kind of progression into being a star player in Europe and obviously uh, playing with Maccabi Tel Aviv. If you could go back and you were to tell your high school self, because there's a lot of this is just all about basketball, guys are listening to this, what would you do on a daily basis in order to, to if you're like going to work on your game, how would you go about it if you were back in high school? Yeah, I would take it a little bit more serious at a younger age. You know, I try to, you know, not just go out there and, and play and, you know, just, you know, mess around with your friends, but try to try to be a little more serious with it. Try to envy or um, emulate the guys in the league. So see what the NBA wants and, and try to work on those skills every day. What would, what would, was there a number of shots per day that they should make, that they should take, amount of time that, you, that they should, like, there's, there is a limit to which you don't want to burn a dude out, but, like, look, if you say you love ball, get in the gym, how many shots a day? How long should you be working out? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you love hoop and you're not going to get burnt out, I mean, the minimum every day, I think, should be at least minimum 250. Making or taking? taking um the, the older you get you know the more makes you're gonna have so the younger kids at least take 250 and then just just play as much as you can whether it's the camps in the summer that you get invited to or you know the pickup runs at night after dinner whatever it may be what about aau team would you play with the bigger team to which you have to share minutes and share the ball or would you play with a team to which you get to be the guy uh for me we were a smaller team so I would say just just go to where you can play and and you can play as, as much as your game as possible so people can see it. Which is kind of counter to why you went to UCLA, though. I want to point that one out, right? I guess that, that is true. Um, but as soon as I was seen, um, you know, then I really believed in myself, and then I could could be seen at, at any point at that point. Uh, I I have John Bar uh, Bart. How do you say Debartabel Debart. Tabello, <laughs> DiBartolomeo, <laughs> D- D- John DiBartolomeo is going to join us we as well go. on the on the pod. He's an amazing story, a complete unknown. Um, the other area that I lived in for a couple years, Westport, where where he's from, like, is he the guy? He's got one of those guys to which I had literally like. Look, I've been doing this covering sport for fifteen years. I'd never heard of him, and like, you go to Israel, like, have you ever seen him play? No, check him out. He's awesome. He's one of those stories of a guy that you didn't know of, and now all of a sudden he's a really, really talented player. How often do you come upon guys like that? Yeah, it's, it's a rare. His story is definitely rare. He, he's another guy that loves hoop, and his work ethic is insane, and that's his reason for being here. His, his game is incredible, and I'm so happy that he's my teammate. Well, listen, we, listen, we wish you safe travels uh, to Ben Gurion Airport. I hope you're now your apartment overlooked the water. Is that are you on the, are you on the beach? Very close. I'm a five minute walk to the beach. Now have you have you broken out? Do you have a board there? Do you surf there? I don't surf there just because uh, you know I'm not trying to get hurt throughout the season, so I keep that for the summertime. Your favorite surf spot in Southern California is what? Salt oh. Creek Beach. Wait, where Salt Creek? Yep. Um, waves have to be how big before you you get excited and go down to Salt Creek? Oh, man, anything three to six feet, and that's ideal for me. Three to six feet is ideal. Your, when you first – your place that this is where I grew up playing pickup basketball was where? Um, Main Beach Laguna. Main Beach Laguna, the half court, the three-on-three, three, which they've redone. Do they still play down there? I've, I, I've been back they a year. They still play. What, what days? Uh, they play early Saturday mornings, and last I heard it was Wednesday night. 
Wednesday nights. All right, still time to get it in uh, n- next week. Uh, la- last thing, and um, uh, this is kind of the the most the most important thing: Jordan or LeBron? Jordan. Why? I grew up watching him, uh, and I think he started it for everybody. Fair enough. It's the tiger of tiger effect of, of basketball. Hey, man, safe exactly. travels. Thanks so much for telling us your story and joining us on the All Ball Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate your time, man. See you guys. All right, later. Hope you enjoyed the All Ball Podcast. I'm Doug Gottlieb. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.